The scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but you, when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who is in secret, will reward you. Now, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you eat or drink, or about your body. What you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Uh, As you can see, we are in the middle of a series looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and we're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, going through it in reverse, actually, not because we're smarter than Jesus, but because we think we actually learned some things looking at it from a different angle. Uh, This, uh, I'll be back next week wrapping up our series, or excuse me, look at the Sermon on the Mount. But this morning, I got a treat for you. We're going to have actually my wife, Carrie Stevens, come up and be give us bring us God's word. From Matthew chapter 6, and Carrie, if you don't know her, is, of course, my wife, mother of four. She writes a bit and speaks a bit and blogs a bit and loves a lot. All right, so, yes, that's right. All right, so you guys please welcome her as she brings us God's word, Matthew 6. Thank you. I do. I love you, babe. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. Um... So a few weeks ago, I was, I heard about this study on NPR, because I'm smart like that, and I know you guys already knew that, but uh, 
It was from out of the University of Virginia, and it was a study of the brain, the human brain, and friendship. And interestingly, these uh, scientists took a person and hooked them up to a electromagnetic machine that both monitored their brain as they were about to receive an electric shock. <laughs> Sounds really nice, doesn't it? And it was a very painful shock, apparently. They told the people it wasn't, but it was, according to the interview. And so they would sit there alone, hooked up to this machine and these things monitoring their brain, the danger regions of their brain, and this little red light would come on, alerting them that in a not specific amount of time, they would receive a shock. And they wanted to see how the brain responded. And then they had them sit there hooked up to this machine. I promise this has something to do with Matthew 6. Just hang with me. So (laughs) then they had them sit there and hold the hand of a perfect stranger. And did that change how their brain responded? And then they had them sit there and see the red light and feel the shock and hold the hand of a deep and trusted friend. Now, the friend and the stranger did not feel the shock. Only the person hooked up to the machine felt the shock. And they wanted to see if their brain responded differently alone, with a stranger, or with a friend. And interestingly, when the people were sitting there hooked up and the red light came on, if they were alone or holding the hand of a stranger, the danger regions of their brains just lit up like Christmas. I mean, they were terrified before the shock was administered. But when they sat holding the hand of a deep and trusted friend, their brain stayed completely silent. Isn't that fascinating? Even though they knew it was going to hurt. And so what the researcher said was basically somehow the human brain knows that when someone you trust is in it with you, even if they're not experiencing what you're experiencing, when they're in the hard place with you, your brain knows it's going to be okay. And as I listened to this, I thought, gosh, that's really true because I know in my own life when things are swirling, right, and you don't know what's going to happen and bad stuff, bad news has come or the day is hard or whatever, whenever I'm in that place, it doesn't take much to make it all okay. All I really need is for one of my children to come in, come to me, look at me, give me a hug, and say, you are the best mom in the whole entire world, and everything's okay. Or for Morgan to walk by and see me in my Ancient of Days ponytail and my three-day-old yoga pants, and I haven't showered in a week, and uh, look at me and go, Babe, you're so cute. Hi, you're so cute. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and it doesn't matter that they're completely lying to me. This makes no difference. <laughs> doesn't matter if it's true or not. I just know I'm connected to this person who I love, who's in it with me, who sees me for who I really am and knows everything's going to be okay. And suddenly the swirling things seem to kind of at least land a little bit and I can tackle them one by one. And I'm sure you've had that same experience. And so if we know that that's true, if we know that connection and being seen by other people helps our souls, is life-giving to our souls, why, in this passage, we must ask, why is Jesus telling us to be super secret agents, spiritually speaking? I mean, that's the question he's saying here. That's the one we've got to ask ourselves. And the truth is, Jesus is letting us know that many times the most authentic part of our spiritual life is the part that no one sees. It's the part no one knows about. And even though I know, I know I have changed the lives of many people by posting on Instagram a picture of my coffee next to my Bible with like a really good filter. You have to pick the right filter. Um, I know that I've changed lives by encouraging people to read their Bibles in the morning. 
That's a joke, you guys. No, okay. Um, I don't actually think that about my Instagram posts. But, uh, <laughs> but publicly, it's good to let people know what you're doing. Or, you know, if I find out about a GoFundMe campaign of some sort and it's to dig a well in a village where they've run out of water and there's a, there's a, a famine or something and I give to it and then I send my friends that information and I call people up and I post it on Facebook or whatever I do to promote it and my friends all give to this and we dig a well for a village. We pay for that to happen. That's life-giving, right? That's letting people know what they can do, showing them what I've done to do to make the world a better place. Well, of course, those things are good. Jesus would say yes. And if Jesus were here today, he would remind us that he already said in the Sermon on the Mount in another place to let our good deeds shine before people. So he's already covered that. What he's getting at in Matthew 6 is something deeper. Jesus is asking us to really examine and think about why we do the things we do for him. Who are we really doing them for? And it's important. So we're going to dig into that today. And so hear me today, please know that no matter how many likes you get on Facebook today for that scripture that touched your heart or that awesome speaker from church, um, no matter how connected you feel to your friends and your family, no matter how accepted you feel in this place, there's a deep part of your soul that was made to connect to God and God is after it. He wants it. He wants you to connect in that place. And if you feed your soul with the approval of people, and the opinions of others, that part of your soul is going to starve, okay? And you will not receive your, receipt, your reward from God the Father, and we don't want that. So how do we avoid that? How can we connect to a God we can't really see or touch or hear? How can we let God be that friend holding our hand when no one else can see what we're going through? Well, Jesus gives us three keys here in Matthew 6, making the hidden sacrifice, taking the hidden dare, and seeing the hidden kind of savior. So making the hidden sacrifice. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. I find it so interesting when I read this text that thousands of years ago, people were trying to make sure other people knew they were awesome, just like we do today. The Bible's really irrelevant and out of date. Um, Just kidding. People have just always been people. Back then, of course, they had to go out into the temple or to the public square to do what they did and to prove how great they were. Now we have, of course, the blessing of social media to hoist our lives up before other people in addition to what people actually see us do in person. And so there's there's an opportunity for us there. I mean, there's never been another culture in the history of the world that gave its people such an incredible opportunity to be seen Okay, you can be seen. You could be seen on your birthday by your cousin's best friend in Topeka when he sends you a message and tells you happy birthday, and you know he really means it, even though he doesn't know you. Um, He thinks you're great. Or, you know, you could go out and post something online, and everybody will know that you did this amazing, incredible thing, or what your cute kids look like, or how much they love you, or... You know, you just have these opportunities online. You could post on Instagram. It used to, okay, honestly, I'm a great cook. And nobody used to know that. Okay, I'm maybe not that great of a cook. But it used to be nobody knew how good my Caesar salad was. But now I can post a picture of it on Instagram with the recipe. You can know how great it is by making it yourself. Like my Caesar salad could be famous. Um, 
Or, you know, you could have the chance to let me see what you look like without makeup. I never knew what you looked like without makeup before you posted that picture of yourself without makeup. And now I can know what you look like without makeup, and I can know what products you use to get like that and where I can go to get those same products. So the Internet gives us these opportunities to be seen that no one else has ever had before. And I suppose that ever since Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden, people have had issues with being seen, right? Adam and Eve hid. They were ashamed. And we want to hide our shame. We want to put out this great kind of version of ourselves for people. Some of us put out a shinier version online than we really have. And some of us put out maybe too real of a version of ourselves online. And people are a little scared of our posts. And some of us are somewhere in the middle. And of course, there are those of us who are very wise and stay out of the game altogether. But no matter where you fall in that group of people, you have a need to be seen. We all have a need to be seen. And Jesus is telling us here, no matter, no matter how much people see you, online or in person, you need to be secretly awesome. Which is really, really strange, right? Because like I said before, it really seems like what we do uh, to show people to be good is such a powerful way to live the gospel. And of course it is. But what God's saying here is that on some level in your life, it's some deeper place, he's actually more interested and concerned with how much you really love him than with how much people can see that you love him. Okay, he's looking for your heart. He's not just looking for your obedience and or outward obedience. So I thought of this recently, a friend of ours who uh, visited some pastor friends. He had friends who were pastors in an impoverished nation. It's a nation with a great problem of poverty. And while he was at these pastors' house, they were in the backyard and This pastor's property bordered the slums of his city. And while they were there, children kept kind of sneaking through the back gate and coming in to children from that slum, coming in to say hi, to check in, to tell them about their day. And so our friend was really interested in this. This is different. He'd never seen anything like this before. And so he asked these pastors, he said, you know, why do these kids keep coming into your yard to say hey? What's going on there? And the pastors were a little embarrassed, actually. They they didn't really want to tell him. But he pressed, and they said, well, okay, here's the deal. Nobody knows this, but we have secretly been feeding and caring for these kids for a long time now. They're like family to us. And so our friend was a little perplexed, and he said, you know, well, why don't you want to tell anybody that you're doing this? And the pastor said, you know, we need one part of our life to be a place where we can give and serve just because we're Christians. Only because of that. And you realize those pastors really understood Matthew 6. They really knew that when you give to the needy, Jesus said, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so why did these people do that? Why would they want to hide away? Well, they gave an honest reason, the first of which was that they needed to give in an unseen way so that they knew that their hearts were solely giving out of love for God, that they would not have the added perk of the approval of people, first of all. And secondly, they knew that they had a privilege that those kids did not have. They had food, they had water, they had the things that those kids needed, and they wanted to make sure that they used their privilege to bless those kids. 
And I think it's really important to talk about privilege. I think it's important to recognize that there are all kinds of privilege in life and that it is not a shame to realize that you have a privilege you neither earned nor maybe deserve. And there really are all kinds of privilege. There's financial privilege like those pastors had. There's racial privilege. There's um, relational privilege. There's social privilege. There's intellectual privilege. And some of us, some amazing people in here with the great life situation, have been given all of those. You have every single one of those privileges, maybe in spades. In America, that is not unusual. And it's okay. It's okay to recognize and admit that you have that privilege, the, all of those privileges. Some of you have just a few here and there. Some of you have a bit of one, maybe, and not very much of the others. But in a place like America, most likely every person in this room has some kind of advantage that other people haven't been given. And it's okay. Like, I think people are scared to admit that, but the thing that would not be okay is to know you have a privilege and then hoard it for yourself, right? It's re- we need to recognize that we were given things. Some of those privileges are made up by people, like racial privilege. We've made that up. I mean, not that it doesn't exist, but we've created that with our structures and our systems and our history. Others are God-given, intelligence. You don't get to pick that one. <laughs> you get what you get, as we say in my house, and you don't pitch a fit. <laughs> but we all have different privileges, and we, are, we need to use our privilege. The question we need to ask ourselves is, am I willing to give my, out of my privilege, give away some of it so that someone else could have more? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Out of what I have, out of the abundance that God has given me, whether I deserved it or not, am I willing to lay a little bit of it down for someone else? Matthew 6 can help us with that. It can help us a lot. You know, Morgan and I have um, a friend who pastors a multicultural church, and it's not in Austin. Someone at last service came up and asked me where it was. Um, I was like, why? Why? You want to leave? No. Um, <laughs> Is it in South Austin, she said? I was like, no. Um, It's not here. I'm not lying. It's really not here. But uh, our friend pastors in multicultural church, it's very similar in some ways to Mosaic. Of course, it has its own flavor. But uh, he pastors his church, and I was with him one day in a group of people, and he was talking about the church that he he grew up in. And it was more monocultural. It was very monocultural. And he was talking about it, and telling all these amazing stories about the vibrancy and the worship and all these incredible things about it. And as I listened to him share, I was struck by how different his church of his childhood and youth was from the church that he leads. Because when he went into ministry, he inherited a church that was just different than the one he grew up in. And I thought of a lot of us here. There are a lot of us in this room who were raised in a church that was very different than Mosaic. And Um, I thought, how did he do this? How does he reconcile the tension there, right? Like this faith tradition that you love and you feel very, very connected to that is not, doesn't line up culturally and expression wise with the church that you're in. And so I asked him, I pulled, later we were alone. I didn't want to ask him in front of the group of people. And I said, I just want to understand what that journey has been like for you. And if you feel like your church misses out at all on parts of who you are, because it's different. And, you know, my friend had good news and bad news for us today. Uh, First of all, he said 
that he does really miss things from the church he grew up in. He misses the depth of worship. He misses the depth of prayer. I mean, he said, like, we, he goes, in my church, I feel like we get this deep. And the church I came from, I feel like we went so much deeper. It felt so much deeper for me. And he said, and that's hard for me. And I do sometimes feel like I can't bring all of me into that place that my church misses out on parts of my faith and my relationship with God because I can't express it the same way in the structure that I'm in. And then he gave me the good news. He said, but I don't resent it. He said, I don't resent it because in the end, church is about family. You guys, I heard that and I just, my heart was so full of God's love for each and every one of us in this place. And I just thought it suddenly hit me, you know, each one of us can only really bring into Mosaic, into whatever church you go to if you're just visiting and you go somewhere else. You can only really bring you, right? Like where you've been, the things you've learned. I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you feel about me, I bring me every week. (laughs) Like California born and bred. I'm sorry, that is a sin in Austin, I realize. But I'm from California, but I came before the boom. So I have that, you know, street cred. Uh, But California born and bred, I'm a little bit white, like the most whitest person here. Um, And you love it. No, uh, you know, I'm from a middle class family. I homeschool my kids. I fit lots of stereotypes that are awkward and, uh, pastor's wife, like, what is that? And so I bring all of who I am though. (laughs) I don't know if I fit that box very well, but, uh, I bring all of me every week and you bring all of you. Like I can't make this place more African-American personally. (laughs) It's just not something I can really bring. I can't make it more Latina. Although I do speak Spanish. Um, I can't bring in a culture. I can't make it more liturgical for you because I wasn't raised in a deep liturgical church tradition. I can't make it more international. I can't make it less American. You know, like I just, I just bring what I bring, although I want to live in France someday. So pray for me. Um, I just bring what I bring and you bring what you bring. And together, bit by bit, week by week, I hope we're making a new song together, right? Like I hope we're creating something amazing that no one's ever seen before. A place where people make space, space for you to be you and me to be me and be who God made us to be. A place where you can bring your whole self and all the traditions you love and all the depth of that, of prayer, of worship, whatever it is, and you bring it in here. And we're making something different than what we grew up in. Nobody here probably grew up in a church like this because these churches are rare. This is hard to do. What we're doing here takes work and it takes grace. And if we can learn to do it in here, if we can learn to make space for one another and love each other and celebrate our our beauty and uniqueness before God, we can take that love and we can take it out there and we will see the city changed. We will see things change. We will get into the system and we will upend it with our kingdom ways and we will tell people they're amazing and God made them just like that and he wants to use every bit of who they are for his glory. That is what we're doing in here. This is practice. Every Sunday morning is practice for us. We're learning to sing a new song together. We're learning to make a new thing together, to worship differently. So if you feel like maybe you left some stuff behind, right, like... Maybe your church experience was different growing up and you miss, 
I mean, maybe the music here is just way too loud for you. <laughs> See? <laughs> maybe, maybe there are just way too many children running amok in this place for you. Or maybe you think, you know, you miss a choir. God, you love a choir. Come on. Where's the choir with the robes? And you're like, that is how you worship, right? That's what I'm used to. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe the teaching is just a little too cerebral. I said it. It's okay. And you're like, I don't understand those big words. I'm here for you. Every once in a while, I'll be here for you. Small words. Um, Maybe the song lyrics seem weird to you. They're just a little too feely. Like, that's just, that's a little weird. That last song, you're like, but I don't know what that's about. Um, Maybe there aren't enough tambourines and people jump around too much and nobody fell out in the spirit and you just don't know what's going on and why can't these people get excited about Jesus or why are they so excited about Jesus? And I mean, thank goodness we have the free coffee. So to all of you who've left behind some kind of tradition in your church that you feel like is a sacrifice that we cannot, we don't have here, I hope you bring that part of you to this place and that together we're making a new place. And I want to say three things, if that is you. I want to say that, number one, thank you for your hidden sacrifice. Thank you for following God into a place that's different and unusual and maybe a little uncomfortable for you. Thank you for trusting God to make you a part of this family and for bringing all of you. And second, we really do want to make space for you to be who God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do here. We want to make space for your whole self, all of it. And third, we need to recognize that even in a place like this where that's the heart, you may feel like part of you gets hidden, that part of your sacrifice gets hidden. And when that happens, I want you to know that's a treasure, that it's a blessing to not be seen. You have to see it as that because in that unseen place, Jesus is there and he has a blessing for you that is going to surpass and a reward for you that's going to surpass any that you could have had if you had done something easier. So thank you for being here. We love you. Wouldn't you rather be rewarded by God for your hidden sacrifice than honored by a human for something they see you do? Wouldn't you rather have God's reward? And I don't know why that's so hard to live, but Jesus knew it was. That's why he said what he said in Matthew 6. And he gave us a way out. He said, be awesome in secret. Be good in secret. Because he knew it would detox our soul from the need to be seen by people. That it would cleanse us. That it would make us know who we love most of all so that we could love the world in a better way. And if we live like that, I wish I could say your life's going to be super easy and everything's going to go exactly as you have it planned. But that's not the case. I wish I could say that. Because in Matthew 6, there's a hidden dare. There's a hidden dare Jesus gives us. And so, as I was reading this this week, I was super into it, right? Like, I was like, yes, I want to do all the hidden good stuff, God. I want to hide it away. And I got really excited, except there was this little tiny nagging anxiety in the back of my head because I felt like Jesus was poking at something that I really is really precious to me. And so I thought, what, what's happening here? Why is this somehow scary to me? 
And I realized that there's a hidden dare here, and Jesus is daring us to be sure that our spiritual life is not really about us. And we could twist this to make this be about us, okay? We could make ourselves the center of this, like the people who get the most out of it. But somehow I don't think that's what Jesus had planned. And so there are at least three ways I've thought of that we could twist this and turn it into something that benefits us alone. And the first one of those twists is the martyr twist. Now, I'm not talking about being a real martyr. I'm talking about being a martyr, okay? (laughs) There's a difference. And I am personally a fantastic martyr. Not such a good martyr, but a good martyr with the quotation marks. So if you had a fantasy martyr league, I would be one of your top draft picks. You would so want me because I'm super good at this. If you give me the chance to give something up, to sacrifice and suffer so that someone else could have, could have what they want. I get to suffer and he or she gets what they want. And then I get to hold it against them for the rest of my life. I'm in. I'm totally in. I love that. Now, some of you think that that sounds crazy because you just don't know how good a pity party can be, okay? You just don't know how amazingly good it is to self-medicate with a good old-fashioned pity party. It, it's the best way for me to stay totally broken and never grow. Um, <laughs> I'll teach a class on it later. Uh, so if that's you, if you think... You know, you hear this, and you, there's a part of you, a little dark part, that's like, yes, no one will ever know what I've done for Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want you to know, that's a trap. <laughs> Don't fall for it. It's a bad thing, because you're turning it into more about what you're suffering and less about, like, loving God. So the way out of that trap is... Uh, is the key to trusting God. The key to trusting God is knowing that it means you treasure the God you sacrifice for more than the sacrifice you've made. All right. So the martyr twist, any twist really is fixed by trusting God in this way. Trusting God means you treasure the God you sacrifice for more than you treasure the sacrifice that you've made. That's our way out. Second twist we have the elementary schoolboy logic twist. That rolls off the tongue. I know you've all memorized it. Okay, so when my boys were little, like six, seven, and eight, and yes, our our boys are a year apart, and no, that was not easy. Um, They were six, seven, and eight, and they were fighting over who was going to be first for something. And I don't remember what, because they probably fought every day about who was going to be first for something back then. And so they're fighting, I'm first, no, I'm first, you always get to be first, I never get to be first, I want to be first. I mean, this is not new in any home with multiple children. And so... I saw this chance as an astute Christian parent to preach a very good sermon. Okay, that's a warning light if you've got a sermon in parenting. (laughs) That's not how you parent well, but go to the parenting classes. They'll give you better skills in this. And I went to my kids and I said, boys, in Matthew 20, Jesus said that the first would be last and the last would be first. Now, what do you think about that? And they all just stood there. Yes, mom. And I said, I saw my chance to make a real change in their life, you know, like really impact them with the gospel. Don't you want to do what Jesus said? 
Don't you want to let someone else go first? Yes, mom. Okay, mom. Okay. And then I backed up to let the gospel play out in my family's life. And what happened was they turned to one another and went, I'm last. No, I'm last. You have to be first because I want to be last because I want to be first with Jesus. So you go first and then you'll be last. (laughs) Kids are awesome. So they actually fought about who was going to be last so that they could eventually be first again. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, If we aren't careful, we could do this with Matthew 6, okay? We could turn Matthew 6 into a checklist of ways to miss the point of what Jesus actually said. You know, you could say like, I mean, I don't think I'm going to go to those church prayer meetings on Friday mornings because Jesus said not to pray in public. I don't want to miss out on my reward. So I may not really actually pray on my own very much at home, but I definitely am not going to pray in public. And I've been thinking about that giving in secret thing. You know, technically, my bank is a public business, and so anything I give is seen by someone. So I think what what I should do is just not give it all and just make sure no one sees. And even, I mean, even if I gave cash at the church, it might be dangerous. Somebody might see me slip that into the plate. I mean, they pass it by publicly. So... They're really making it hard on me here. I do not want to miss my reward. You know, and I know that my coworker probably would really love to hear about the gospel, but I don't want to put my righteousness up before anybody in public. So I think I'm just going to pray privately for them, but I'm not going to speak up and give them any kind of hope for eternity. It would really, I I mean, I want my reward from my heavenly father. Don't do that. Okay, obviously that's crazy, but we could do that. (sighs) Because we're still making it be all about us. It's self-centered. And now the last twist, that Jesus has come to make me better than you twist. (sighs) Um, So the world tells us that success is money, wealth, power, influence. I want want you to know that is not how God sees success in his kingdom at all. If it were, the disciples didn't do such a good job at the end. Right. So we are going to have to change our definition of success and becoming great. Okay? We just, we literally have to upend it. You guys, we cannot think that if we give in secret, pray in secret, secret, and do all these secretly good things that God is going to give us the life of our dreams. He's not a genie in a bottle, and he is not your rich uncle who can't wait to give you the life of your dreams. He has dreams for you. He's taking you from glory to glory. He has promises untold for you, and he is going to bless you and reward you. He has made you that promise, but it may not look like what what the world and our culture has told us it looks like. Because whatever's true for me needs to be true for somebody who's in a third world nation hoping to find some lunch today. Right? The gospel has to be true for both of us, or it's not true at all. So I dare you, don't twist it. Don't twist Matthew 6. Don't make it about you because you'd be missing the point. 
And to be super honest with you, I don't know what living a Christ-centered life is going to cost you. I can't tell you that. And it may be that thing you're hoping Jesus does not take from your hands right now. And it may not. We don't get that promise. We don't get to know what we're sacrificing before we say, yes, Lord. But I will tell you this. I know that the comfort and the privilege you give up for the sake of your love for Jesus and the sake of his love for that person who's in need is going to pale in comparison to the blessing and reward you will get in knowing him in the deepest places of your soul. I promise you that you may not be able to tell anyone what it means and you won't be able to put it in words and it's going to go so deep in you that you can't draw a picture of it or write a song about it because it's so deep it becomes a part of you and you think, I don't know how to make this make sense, but I know Jesus. I know him because I gave those things up and it's going to make you want to give up more. It's going to get addictive. You're going to think, what more can I give? Who else can I love? How else can I go unseen and bless other people? It's going to be worth it. And when that happens, you will have seen the hidden kind of Savior. You know, I think it's super important at this point to ask, what kind of Savior did God send to the world? Because the Jewish people really were expecting a king, a superstar general, someone who is going to come and upend injustice and, you know, have more Twitter and Facebook followers than anyone in the history of the world. And he was going to be famous from one end of the earth to the other. They really thought that. And they thought that for good reasons. They didn't think that because they were foolish. They thought that because they had read the scriptures. They just had it a little funny, right? They were seeing it by the world's success standards, the world's fame standards. But that's not how God did it. God sent his son into a little tiny baby, (laughs) little baby Jesus. He sent him for you and for me, and he let him grow up to be a common man, not someone who seemed like he could really do a whole, whole, whole lot of amazing things outside of the secret things he was doing. Jesus didn't sit around with the disciples trying to figure out how to increase his platform. He didn't have a strategy for how to get more followers by being a certain way like he was supposed to be. Jesus avoided the crowds sometimes. Jesus told people not to tell anybody that he had healed them. Hey, keep it on the down low. Don't tell anyone. Keep it secret. Right? Jesus was not the kind of savior people thought he was going to be because God chose to hide the savior of the world in a normal, ordinary man. And then he took him and he put him at the very bottom. He let him be arrested and murdered as a common criminal. What kind of injustice, rocking, famous person is that? It looked like Jesus failed on the cross. It did not look like he was victorious. God does things in strange ways. And when he comes in your life and he asks you to do strange things for him, people may not understand. A few weeks ago, Morgan was telling our neighbors that he was headed to TGA. And for those of you who don't know what TGA is, it's the gospel and dot, dot, dot. And he was telling them, we're going, we're going to talk about hard stuff together at our church. It's a meeting at our church. And, um, We're going to talk about ethnicity and politics and 
and awkward subjects like that, just to learn to have a better conversation, learn to hear what other people who are different than us think about that. And they literally just stood there like that. Nothing. The other guy, Morgan in the center, our neighbor just stared at him for like five full seconds. Morgan was like, I think he pulled his children a little closer. (laughs) But the thing is, our neighbors have not been saved from a life where everyone they love looks just like they do or believes what they believe or thinks like they think. They don't know the blessing of being in community with all of you, right, who are different than they are, who have had different life experiences, who have different thoughts and and beliefs. And even, you know, we've got Jesus, but then we've got all that social stuff, right, that we've got to sort out. They don't know that we're practicing in here, practicing to be one and in unity so that we can bring unity to this city. They don't know what it's like and the blessing it is. I want to live my life for God without holding back. I don't want to stay where it's comfortable. I don't want to think everything I think is always right and the other guy is wrong just because I've never been there. I want to try walking a mile in your shoes and see what it's like for you to live here, the same place I live with a totally different experience. You know, maybe today you feel like this message is like a little red light. (laughs) You know, like maybe you're a little uncomfortable. Like maybe living Matthew 6 means that you're going to have to give up something kind of big or step out and do something uncomfortable for you. I really hope you do. I hope that you get that the gospel means we've got to live for more than our own comfort and benefit. And I hope that God is poking at your heart and saying, you know that thing that you thought I did just for you? Give that away. You know that place that you live? That's not where I want you to live. I want you to go live over there. You know that dream that you thought I gave you so that you could be comfortable for the rest of your life? Eh. That's for you to give someone else. I hope that we will live with open hands, letting God bless us and take from us at will, not grabbing what we can and making sure we have enough for tomorrow when tomorrow's going to take care of itself, right? That's what Jesus told us. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's got it in his hand. And so maybe you feel like that red light is on for you. And there's an electric shock coming to your life. And you're a little nervous. Well, this room is full of people who would love to hold your hand. This place, we are family. And even when we don't understand one another or see everything that each other has given up to be here, we love each other. I've never met a person here without an enormous capacity to love sacrificially. I've never had anyone here say, I knew I could really help her out, but I decided not to. We're family. We're in it together. We're holding each other's hands. And even when there's something that you feel like God has asked you to do in secret and it's hidden and it's hard and someone else can't hold your hand, Jesus is holding your hand for you. God is there and that is treasure untold for you because in that moment, you know what he went through. Can you imagine being the savior of the world and being okay with the fact that everybody thought you failed? You die a failure. You're going to prove them right eventually. You're going to show them that you are going to rise, raise from the dead and you will be there and it is eternal. But in that moment, that must have been hard to look out at your disciples and know I'm being arrested and I'm going to be killed. And for a little while, you're going to think that it's all for nothing. Jesus is in that place. 
You give sacrificially, you live sacrificially, and he meets you. Amen? Amen.